Today's scripture is from Daniel 2, 13 through 23. Please stand for the reading of God's word. So the decree was issued to put the wise men to death, and men were sent to look for Daniel and put his friends, and his friends to put them to death. When Arioch, the commander of the king's guard, had gone out to put to death the wise men of Babylon, Daniel spoke to him with wisdom and tact. He said, the, he asked the king's officers, Why did the king issue such a harsh decree? Arioch then explained the matter to Daniel. At this, Daniel went in to the king and asked for time, so that he might interpret the dream for him. Then Daniel returned to his house and explained the matter to his friends, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. He urged them to plead for mercy from the God of heaven concerning this mystery, so that he and his friends might not be executed with the rest of the wise men of Babylon. During the night, the mystery was revealed to Daniel in a vision. Then Daniel praised the God of heaven and said, Praise be to the name of God forever and ever. Wisdom and power are his. He changes times and seasons. He deposes kings and raises up others. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to the discerning. He reveals deep and hidden things. He knows what lies in darkness and light dwells with him. I thank and praise you, God of my ancestors. You have given me wisdom and power. You have made known to me what we asked of you. You have made known to us the, the dream of the king. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Good morning. Peace be with you. My, uh, my in-laws, they <clears throat> have a, a place on, on Norris Lake in Tennessee, and it's a it's a spot that my family and I, we've, we've vacationed there for, for several years, and it's a, one of my favorite places on earth. And a few years ago, I, I took a group of buddies down for, for just a few days to get away. We um, you know, spent the time relaxing, get on uh, my father-in-law's boat. He has a pair of jet skis. It's, it's a great, great spot. And uh, we go out one day, and we find a cove and drop anchor and just sit and swim and float and listen to music, take naps spend the whole day in the cove, and it was, a, it was a great time, incredibly relaxing. It gets to be late afternoon, early evening. We're like, all right, we should probably head in, go get some dinner. I, uh, I go to start the boat, and the boat won't start. It just kind of clicks, and it's like, oh, no, okay. So I start messing around with different things, and we can't get the boat to start. And, and we are miles away from the lake house, and I'm like, oh, my gosh, what are we going to do? Uh, start brainstorming, coming up with ideas, and uh, we come up with the idea, we've we got a jet ski with us, and we say, you know what we can do? We can jump the boat with the jet ski, and so we, we pull out jumper cables that were actually in the boat, and um, get, the, get the kind of the hood off of the jet ski, and, and hook it up, and uh, nothing happens. We're like, all right, well, let's start the jet ski. Let's get, let's get the thing going. We start the jet ski, and the jet ski immediately sucks up the rope that we were connecting the boat to the jet ski with. And so last resort, our plan was we could just use the jet ski to tow the boat back to the place, and now the jet ski is not going to work. And so it's got the rope all mangled up in the intake, and uh, it's underneath the water. And so we start becoming like deep-sea divers, going underneath and holding our breath for as long as we can to try to rip the jet ski um, rope out, and it's not working. And so I'm freaking out. 
I'm like, what, what do I do? Do I call my father-in-law? I totally screwed up all of his stuff. He's going to kill me. He's never going to let me come back here again. Um, this is done. There's, we're, it's, the, it's early in the year. It's like May, so there's nobody on the lake. There's no one to like, get help from. I'm like, what in the world are we going to do? And, um, and so I'm stressing out, and, and I, I'm, I'm not much of like a motor guy, and so I, I start messing around with something, and I realize something that the, that the boat's been in drive the whole time. And you can't start a boat if it's in drive. That's just not how it works, because then it would take off. And so I'm like, oh, maybe this will do something. I pop it into neutral, and the boat starts right up. Uh, we tow the jet ski back to the house. Uh, we put the jet ski up on the lift, cut the rope off. No one is the wiser. Everything is all good. Father-in-law doesn't know about it unless he listens to the podcast. In that case, sorry, Bob. Um, but it was, it was crisis averted. The disaster was averted, and, um, and everything was all good. We weren't stranded on the lake for days. Um, and it's a, it's a silly example, but what we're going to look at today is we're going to look at our response in the face of a crisis in the face of something with, with high stakes. And in chapter 2 of the book of Daniel, the person Daniel, he finds himself in the midst of a life and death crisis, something much more serious. And unlike my experience at the lake, Daniel doesn't respond rashly or foolishly, but instead he shows this great maturity and character in the face of crisis. Now, I want you to think about the last time you were met with a crisis. You know, this, uh, a time of, of difficulty or trouble where the stakes are high. Or, or it could even be a time when a difficult or very important decision has to be made in your life. And the, the results matter greatly. It could be a, a crisis at work, a, a crisis with one of your kids at home, a crisis in, a, in an important relationship. It's those situations that we find ourselves in over and over again in our lives where the answer isn't black and white. It's not clear do we go left or right, the direction is not obvious, and yet the stakes are very high. The, the, the decision really matters. So the question is, how, how do you react in those situations? What, what do you say? What do you typically do? What's going on in your inner world when those situations come up? And there might be something in the past that comes to mind, or it might be a situation that you're dealing with right now, this morning. You know, we're, we're exploring Daniel's life this summer, as this great example of how to live a life of faithfulness in the midst of unfaithfulness. And if you remember from last week, Daniel and his friends, they'd been brought into exile by King Nebuchadnezzar of the, of the Babylonian Empire. And he took Daniel and his friends out of their home in Israel, and he doesn't imprison them, but instead he actually brings them into his palace and into his court. He trains them, raises them up, and then gives them jobs in his administration. And so that was chapter 1, and in chapter 2, the context of before uh, what, what Michael just read is King Nebuchadnezzar, he has this dream. And it's not a, a typical dream, it's a dream that, that God actually sends to him, and he wakes up and he can't just shrug it off and, and go back to sleep. Instead, it, it keeps him up at night. It, it really troubles him, and he's up all night, and in the morning he wants to know, what does this dream mean? And so the next day he gathers together all of his magicians and his astrologers, his sorcerers, his, his wise men, his advisors. And he says to them, look, I've had this dream and I want to know what it means. And, and these men, they were, they were trained to interpret dreams. And so they're like, great, tell us what your dream is and we'll gladly tell you its interpretation. And, and we don't know if he forgot the dream. You know, you ever have a dream and you're like, wake up. And you're like, man, I just had the craziest dream. What was it about? 
I have, I have no idea. Um, we don't know if he forgot it or if he just didn't trust his advisors, but he says, no, I'm not going to tell you what my dream is. You need to tell me not just what my dream means, but what I dreamt, right? You need to come up with what my dream is and then tell me what it means. And, and the advisors, they basically start arguing with him. They're like, look, King, this is, this is an impossible task. We, we cannot possibly do what you've asked us to do. And they go round and round a couple times, and finally Nebuchadnezzar just kind of loses it with them. And he pulls the crazy king of Babylon card and says, you know what, I'm going to execute all of you guys. And I'm going to execute all of my advisors and all of my wise men in the whole city. And this included Daniel and his friends. They were probably junior advisors. Like they, didn't, they weren't the senior ones that were with them at the time, but they were included in this group. And that's where we pick up in verse 13 that, that, that we read. It says in verse 13, So the decree was issued to put the wise men to death, and men were sent to look for Daniel and his friends to put them to death. And so they come to Daniel, and this is a huge crisis. And this is a big deal. The, the response literally is life or death. And what I want to do is spend the majority of our time this morning looking at Daniel's response, because it's a fascinating response of how he deals with the situation, and I think there's so much for us to learn. Because the reality is, is we face all sorts of crises. Maybe sometimes we face life or death crises and decisions that need to be made, but, but, but there's all sorts of varying degrees from the little to the significant. So I want to look at his response under three headings. We see in this passage Daniel's poise, his prayer, and then finally his praise. So let's look first at his poise. In verse 14 it says, When Arioch, the commander of the king's guard, had gone out to put to death the wise men of Babylon, Daniel spoke to him with wisdom and tact. He asked the king's officer, why did the king issue such a harsh decree? Arioch then explained the matter to Daniel. And at this, Daniel went into the king and asked for time so that he might interpret the dream for him. So this basically the, the chief executioner, the head of the king's secret service, he comes to Daniel's friends and says, come on, it's time to go to death row. And Daniel, it's amazing, he doesn't panic. Right? He doesn't start freaking out. What? This isn't fair at all. We, we weren't even there. We weren't even part of this group. How, how, could, how could the king do this? What did, what did I do to deserve this? This can't be happening to me right now. What am I going to do? Right? He doesn't start freaking out. He doesn't do that. Instead, it says that he responds with wisdom and with tact. And I just I love that phrase. It's really struck, stuck with me this week. Wisdom and tact. And, and those are two words that I, I would not use to describe in our culture, how we respond to crises and difficult situations. Instead, I, I see a lot of panic, a lot of outrage, a lot of blaming, a lot of name-calling, a lot of hand-wringing. But a lot of times, very rarely is there wisdom intact in our responses. And what's amazing is Daniel, he has this incredible poise in the midst of an impossibly difficult situation. And his poise enables him to de-escalate the situation, right? He, he kind of steps back and says, whoa, 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 what, what's going on? Why, why did the king do this? Tell, tell me more. Get, let, let me get all the information that's going on. He comes up with a plan. He has this incredible poise in the face of crisis. And, and in the same way, you and I are, are, are called to have this, this kind of poise in the midst of difficult situations. You see over and over again in the Bible that, that as, as God's people that we're called to be people filled with, with peace, 
people who are marked by a sober-mindedness, that we're clear-minded, we're able to approach situations with clarity, that we're settled, not easily rattled or shaken, but instead we're grounded in who God is. We're grounded in who we are in him so that the circumstances around us, the crises that we face, they don't freak us out. That we can be people who are secure in the midst of the storms around us. That we can have poise, like Daniel has poise. And so one of my questions for, are you a, what, what words would be used to describe you in the midst of these difficult situations? Are you a person who responds in crises with, with wisdom and tact? Are you able to, to not panic? Right? When, when something comes before you, are you able to, to de-escalate the situation or do you find yourself escalating it? Right? It's kind of spinning out and, and, and turn it into something bigger. Are you able to reduce the anxiety of those around you or do you add anxiety to those around you? I think one of the most powerful things that we can bring in our relationships and in difficult situations and in crises is this non-anxious presence. That we can be calm and collected and grounded in the way that Daniel was. We can have poise. Now this isn't about taking just kind of a stoic posture towards life and kind of shutting off all of our emotions and saying, you know what, what will be, will be. God's in control. I'm not going to think about it. I'm not going to not going to deal with it. No, this isn't about turning off our emotions. You see, Daniel, Dan, Daniel's filled with emotions, right? Daniel, he's about to call an, an all-night prayer meeting with his friends, pleading with God for mercy that they won't die. And when, when God actually reveals the dream, he, he breaks out into praise and into song. His emotions are high. And it doesn't lead him to, to withdraw. It's not just kind of a, I'm just going to be passive and not do anything. In fact, his this posture, this poise he has, it leads him to the courage to take action. It's kind of amazing. It says that he goes to the king. Right? He hears about what's going on, and he goes to the king. And at the time, Daniel would have been probably in his late teens. He's a teenager. He's basically a, a, a brand-new captive from exile, and he's going to the most powerful man in the world who is furious and just orders an execution to go and buy more time. Things that the senior advisors and astrologers were not able to do. It's because of his poise, because of, of his groundedness, his settledness. He was able to take wise action. And so how do we become this type of person marked by poise in the face of difficulty? It's really interesting, as I was studying this, the, the meaning of this word that's, that's translated as wisdom here, it has its root in the phrase, to taste. And it's this idea that, that, that Daniel had good taste, you think of good taste, someone that has good uh, decorating taste, right? It's someone who knows what, what sort of uh, things go together, how, how they can look at a room and say, you know what, this will look good together, this won't look good together. Or someone who has good taste in food, right? They know the subtleties and different flavors, or they, they, they know the nuances. I remember a few years ago, I uh, was in Seattle, um, and, you know, Seattle was kind of the, the beginning of the, the third wave coffee scene. And, um, and we went to this, this coffee shop. And we went down in the basement. In the basement of this coffee shop, they were doing a coffee cupping. And I don't know if you know anything about what a coffee cupping is. I had no idea. They line up several cups of coffee. And they, they give you a little spoon. And, and you take just a spoonful of co- coffee. And you're supposed to slurp it in your mouth. 
and get it all in your mouth, and then you spit it out, and, and then you move on to the next one, and, and you're supposed to taste all the different flavors. And at the time, I, I didn't know anything about coffee. It felt like the most pretentious thing uh, you could do. Um, and I didn't know much about coffee. I didn't really know much about coffee until I moved down here and got spoiled on quills. Um, now I can taste the difference between a good and bad cup of coffee. But at the time, so I'm doing this, I'm like, this is crazy. And the guy leading it, he's like, you know, you're going to taste these berry notes, and you're going to taste how this one's more earthy than that, and, and taste the vanilla in this. And I'm like, what is, what is going on? And I do it, and I could totally taste the difference, right? This, this person who had great coffee taste was saying, here's, here's what you want to look for. Here's what you're going to taste. Here's what, here's what this different region brings these different flavors. And it was kind of amazing. Someone who really knew the nuances and the differences was a great guide, you know, wisdom, this idea of wisdom is having good spiritual taste. Having good spiritual taste. It's an understanding of the ways of God. It's an understanding of um, knowing what would be honoring to him in different situations. How to respond based on various circumstances. Right, this, this is what Daniel had. He had really good spiritual taste. And so when a difficult situation came by, he... He, he knew God well enough. He knew God's ways that he could navigate this complex situation with skill, with good taste. We, we need this kind of good spiritual taste in our lives, right? Because life is complicated. There's a lot of different nuances in relationships and situations. It's, it's not very easy sometimes to navigate life. And the reality is that so many of the, the crises we face, the difficult decisions that come in our lives, they're not really answered with a specific verse in the Bible. Right? If, if you're faced with a decision of, do I, do I pursue this job or do I stay in the job that I'm at? Or, or do, we, do we seek to, to add another child to our family? Or, or how do I, who should I re, uh, invest my friendships in? How, how should I spend my time in relationship? Do I say yes or no to this commitment? A lot of times, your specific situation is not going to be addressed with a specific verse. But instead, having good spiritual taste is that you, you know God's word. You know who God is. You know his ways in the world and how he deals with people in situations so that you're able to navigate with skill and with poise. Right? This, takes, this takes cultivation. It takes experience. Right? If you're going to become someone who's skilled in and in, in, in having good taste in coffee, it requires drinking coffee. It requires drinking a lot of it, probably. But, but experience isn't enough, right? You can drink coffee every day, but it doesn't mean you've got good taste in coffee, right? In the same way, experience is not enough in developing spiritual taste. It requires some spiritual attentiveness. It requires paying attention to the situations you find yourself in, right? Noticing the differences, in your different interactions. If, okay, I had this interaction with this person and it went this way. But then I had another similar interaction with the same person and it went a different way. What is going on? So one of the ways that we cultivate the spiritual taste is, is, is are you paying attention? Are you paying attention? Are you being reflective in your life? As you come across different situations and different crises, do you, do you take time to reflect the, on them? Or do you just respond and then move on? I think the invitation is to take these things before the Lord. I think we spend so much of our lives just reacting and responding and, and, and then just moving on that we don't take time to reflect. And so this might be just 
getting into a habit of, of journaling at the end of the day and say, you know what, what, what was going on today? Or, or doing kind of a, a daily exam where you, you kind of look on the, on the past day, different interactions, different experiences, and you, you notice things in yourself. What was I feeling? What did I say? How could this situation have gone differently? You bring them before the Lord. It's developing a sense of attention to develop the spiritual taste, to develop wisdom. So the first thing we see in Daniel is he has this incredible poise in his response. The second thing we see is that he responds with prayer. So he moves from poise to prayer. Verse 17, it says, Then Daniel returned to his house and explained the matter to his friends, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. He urged them to plead for mercy from the God of heaven concerning this mystery so that he and his friends might not be executed with the rest of the wise men of Babylon. Then during the night, the mystery was revealed to Daniel in a vision. So Daniel, he responds with poise. He goes before the king. He says, look, give me some time. Give me some time. I'll get you your interpretation. And the king says, all right, I got you. You have your time. So Daniel, he's bought some time, but now he's got some work to do. He's just agreed to an impossible task of telling the, the king what his dream is and what it means. And so Daniel goes back to his friends, and he recruits them. He says, we got to pray. we got to hit our knees. He knows that he needs God to show up because the problem that he's facing, the crisis, is way bigger than his own resources. And what's amazing is that prayer is the first line of defense for Daniel, not the last. Is that challenging for anybody else? Right? How often, I'm thinking in my own life, When a crisis hits, do I turn to things besides prayer as my first line of defense? I I dwell on my own experiences or my own expertise or I I turn to my network of friends or hit the internet for some research. And then once all that stuff's been exhausted, then I'm like, oh, maybe I I should pray about this. Maybe I should take this to to the Lord. Daniel, he he goes first. And and I think for so many of us, our self-sufficiency is just so high. We've just been programmed to, to turn, figure it out for ourselves first, do everything that we can on our own, and then once you've run out, then maybe you run to God. But, but prayer, it forces us to recognize that a lot of the problems that we face, a lot of the decisions that, that, that we're called to make, the, the, the crossroads, do I go left or right? These are, these are problems that are beyond us, that are beyond our own resources, And the challenge here and the invitation is that we need to turn to the God who has created everything, who has created you and I, who rules over everything for wisdom, for knowledge, for insight of what do we do in these situations. I think for many of us, we we can acknowledge the the, the truth of like, yes, I I know, I need to to run to the Lord. I need to go to the Lord. He's got the the truth. It's what I ought to do, but, but we don't necessarily put it into practice. I think Daniel, he, he knew the importance of prayer and then he put it into practice. And what's amazing is there's, there's just these great, powerful and incredible promises about prayer throughout the scriptures and the, the importance of prayer in the face of crisis. And there's a ton of them, but, but one, of my, one, of the things, one of my favorite verses is in James 1.5. We looked at it last year when we looked through, through the book of James. It says, if any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to you. One of the major themes that you see in this chapter, we'll see it in the, the prayer that, that um, or in the, the praise that, that Daniel uh, 
sings in, the, in a few verses. You see it in the, the entire book of Daniel is that God is the source of wisdom. God is the revealer of mysteries. He is all-powerful. He knows everything. And because of that, we ought to go to him. And, and I love this verse for its simplicity. Do any of you lack wisdom? Yep. Sure do. It says, all right, if you lack wisdom, ask God, who gives generously to all without finding fault. That's an amazing verse, and it's so simple. Right? God's not necessarily going to give you the answer in a vision. Probably not. But he's a gracious father. He's not going to hold out on us. See, see, God, he doesn't put us in these difficult situations or in these crises just to say, all right, let's see how they respond to this one. Right, let's test them with this one. Let's see if they can figure this out on their own. Let's see how mature and wise they are. No, he, he, he lets these things happen in our lives so that we go to him. It says if anyone lacks wisdom, ask God. And he's eager to bless. He's eager to give. He is a generous God who wants to, who wants to give, share his wisdom and his, and his insight with us. He wants us to come to him. And so Daniel does that. He prays to the to God, the revealer of mysteries. And God reveals this mystery to Daniel. I think it's amazing. He, he prays and then it seems like he, he goes to sleep and, and God gives him this vision. He understands the dream and its interpretation. He's got it. Right? This huge potential disaster of life and death. He, he knows the answer now. Right? He's going to be able to, to save all of these people, all these advisors. They're not going to die because he's going to be able to tell the king what it means. And what does he do? He breaks out into praise. He sings a worship song. It says, verse 19, Then Daniel praised the God of heaven. He said, Praise be to the name of God forever and ever. Wisdom and power are his. He changes times and seasons. He deposes kings and raises up others. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to the discerning. He reveals deep and hidden things. He knows what lies in darkness and light dwells with him. I thank and praise you, God of my ancestors. You have given me wisdom and power. You have made known to me what we asked of you. You have made known to us the dream of the king. Daniel, he doesn't just move on with, oh, what a relief. Get to see another day. I'm going to go to the king right away. <coughs> no, he stops. He praises God. He recognizes God for what he has done. God, you, you did what we asked you to do. We asked you to reveal this dream, and you revealed it. You're the source of wisdom and power, not in kings or human knowledge, but from you. And Daniel practices this incredibly important thing, and that's, that's gratitude. He stops and expresses gratitude. I think gratitude is something that is, is missing so much in our lives so often. And I've been thinking a lot about gratitude, been challenged with gratitude um, a lot recently. And, and as I've thought about gratitude, the, the, the opposite of gratitude, I don't think it's ungratefulness or ungratitude. I, I think it's entitlement. Right? The, the enemy of gratitude is entitlement. And this idea of entitlement is, is this idea that, that we have these huge expectations of what we deserve or, or what is owed to us simply because we are. Right? We feel entitled to, to wealth or material excess. We feel entitled to, to easy relationships or for the, the path to just be paved so clearly. Entitled to a, a great job and easy life. And one of the challenges is, is, is our culture is filled with it. Where it's reinforced over and over and over again. You deserve this. You deserve that. 
And we can hop on, on social media and, and we can see people that have more money than us, that have better jobs than us, that have more friends than us, that have an easier life or more happiness than we have, so it seems. And so we want it. And so what, what creeps into our heart is, is this feeling of entitlement. Why, why do they get the big house? Why do they have that great job? Why do they have that great spouse? They're not better than I am. I deserve that. What did I ever do wrong to not, to not get these things? It's not fair. And the reality is, as long as, as you're living in this place of entitlement, as long as you're living in this place of like, hey, what, what do I deserve and what do I not have? You're never going to be grateful. You're never going to be able to practice gratitude. Because gratitude is the practice of recognizing that everything we have is a gift. It's being thankful for what God has given to you instead of dwelling on what you don't have. It's the practice of, of praising God for how he has provided for you in so many ways, praising him for his grace and his goodness, digging beneath the situations and the circumstances that, that don't look good and finding, well, okay, what, what do I have to be grateful for? <coughs> This practice of gratitude, it lifts us out of our own self-focus. It lifts us up to see that all that we have and how God is working, even in the midst of crises, even in the midst of difficult situations, that God is at work and we can express gratitude. I was talking uh, with my doctor recently and she was sharing with me all these health benefits that they've discovered in practicing gratitude. Right, the simple act of, of taking a couple minutes a day and, and writing down five things that you're grateful for. Or, or, or writing a letter of gratitude to someone that, 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 that you're thankful for in your life or something that's, someone that's meaningful. Just a, a few minutes a day and it has all these crazy health benefits. It, it reduces stress a ton. It reduces depression. It, um, I wrote them down here. Reduces uh, high, high blood pressure. Reduces risk for diabetes and improves your sleep. It's amazing, the, the, the act of practicing gratitude. And, and what it tells me is that, that you and I, we are wired, we are created in a particular way, not to have this sense of entitlement, to focus on what we don't have, but to, to focus on what God has given us and to practice gratitude. You know, Daniel's responses here of, of poise, of prayer, of praise, to show how deep his maturity and his character go. And Daniel, he cultivated, it was obvious that he had cultivated rhythms and practices into his life. So that when the, the crisis came, these sorts of things came natural to him. And I think we can also cultivate these things in our lives. That you and I, we can grow in our poise, in our prayer, and in our praise. And I think a lot of times when we think about growing or, or, or adding practices into our life, if you're anything like me, it's like, oh my gosh, my life is busy enough as it is. Right, I feel overwhelmed with all the demands in my life. And, and as I've been thinking about it, these aren't, these aren't necessarily things that take more time in your day. You know, a, a few minutes to, to reflect on your day, to, to just think about your day and your experiences, to spend some time praying to God, to, to take a moment to express your gratitude. Right, these are things that could be done in, in, in 10 minutes. 10 minutes before you, you go to bed or 10 minutes in your car ride home or you know, taking that, that social media break or postponing the Netflix show. It's, it's not about adding more time and things into your life. It's, it's a shift in perspective. It's a shift in, in priority. It's not more time, but it is more intention. 
Right? These are things that have to be important to us. I mean, I want to I be this type of person. And so I'm going to do the hard work that's not natural to, to take time and look back, to spend time in prayer. It has to be important. And so it's more intention, but I also think there's a reorientation. And there's a final thing in this chapter uh, of Daniel 2 that, that hints to the source of strength and confidence, the groundedness that Daniel had in the Lord. And we see this in the, the interpretation of the actual dream. You know, Daniel, he, he goes to Nebuchadnezzar, tells him, hey, I, I know the dream, not because I'm the wisest in the land, but <clears throat> because God has revealed it to me. And he says, in the dream, here's what your dream was. In the dream, you saw this huge statue. And the statue had a head of gold. It had a, um, a chest and arms of silver, uh, a belly and thighs of bronze, and then legs of iron, and then this flimsy foundation of, of a mix of iron and clay in the feet. And, and he tells uh, Nebuchadnezzar, he says, look, this, this statue represents different kingdoms. He says, you're, you're the great king, you are the head of gold. You know, Babylon is the head of gold, and then the rest of the body represents these lesser kingdoms that are going to come after you. And so Nebuchadnezzar, he's happy as a clam. He gets to be the head of gold. I think he kind of stops listening after that. Um, but but these, these rest of the body is these lesser kingdoms. And there's a lot of ink that's been spilled over what are these kingdoms, but it's likely the ancient kingdoms from the Babylonians to the Roman Empire. And so the statue represents these kingdoms. And then Daniel says that after this, the statue appears, this huge stone kind of appears out of nowhere, a stone that wasn't cut by human hands. And the stone hits the statue at the base of the statue and pulverizes the statue, turns it to dust, and it all blows away. And this rock becomes a huge mountain that then fills the whole earth. And Daniel says in, in verse 44, he says, In the time of those kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom that will never be destroyed, nor will it be left to another people. It will crush all those kingdoms and bring them to an end, but it will itself endure forever. This is the meaning of the vision of the rock, cut out of a mountain, but not by human hands, a rock that broke the iron, the bronze, the clay, the silver, and the gold to pieces. Daniel sees in this dream that the kingdoms of this world, they're not going to last. There's going to be another kingdom and that doesn't come from man that's going to outlast and outshine all the earthly kingdoms. A kingdom not marked by geography or ethnicity, but a spiritual kingdom that reaches across and fills the entire globe. And Daniel knew that the kingdoms of this world, they're going to come and go. But the kingdom of God, it's established forever. And so therefore, Daniel, he, he rooted his life and grounded himself, not in an earthly kingdom, but in the kingdom of God, in his heavenly kingdom, because he knew that it was eternal. His life was oriented towards this kingdom, pleasing God as his king. That, that, that's the ultimate source of his strength and his groundedness that leads him then to have poise, leads him to prayer, that leads him to praise. And the reality is, is that Daniel, he, he knew in part about this kingdom, but we know the rest of the story. Because the stone that replaces all the other kingdoms, it, it represents Jesus Christ. And the kingdom of God that he came and proclaimed and establishes through his life, death, and resurrection. In Matthew 21, verses 42 and 44, Jesus said to them, Have you never read in the scriptures? The stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. The Lord has done this, 
and it is marvelous in our eyes. Anyone who falls on this stone will be broken to pieces. Anyone on whom it falls will be crushed. Jesus is saying, I'm establishing a kingdom. I'm the cornerstone that everything is built upon, and I've come to establish a kingdom that will last forever. It will outlast the Babylonians, the Persians, the Greeks, the Romans. Those empires, they're no more. They're in our history books. But the kingdom of God stretches across the globe. It will outlast any earthly kingdom and continue for all of eternity. This is what gave Daniel hope in the midst of the uncertainty around him. In the midst of living in a culture that was completely foreign to him. A place where the people around him were hostile to his faith. Where he was misunderstood and misrepresented. He was able to respond with poise, prayer, and praise. And in the same way, we can have that hope in the midst of the uncertainty around us. In our world, in our own lives, we serve a king who has established his kingdom forever. Jesus invites us into life with him to follow him, to make him the center of our lives. He's on the throne and his reign will prevail. So we can go to him. We can find our peace in him. We can trust in him in the midst of the difficulties and the crises of our lives. And we have promises, not just that the kingdom will never end, but that Jesus will also never leave us nor forsake us. And so as we seek to, to follow him, as we seek to, to navigate wisely in the midst of, of difficulties, we seek to be faithful amongst unfaithfulness, we're going to fall short. We're going to struggle to live out this calling that he has in our lives, but he's right there with us, with grace and forgiveness, with his spirit, with his wisdom, eager to help us navigate. And so as we, we come to the table, as we participate in communion this morning, let's remember Jesus Christ. Let's remember his life and his death and his resurrection that established this kingdom that we belong to. Let's go with confidence to face the uncertainty of tomorrow, the, the crises, the, the decisions that we're sure to face in the days to come, knowing that our Lord is on the throne and in control. And the night that, that Jesus was betrayed, he, he was with his followers and he took a loaf of bread and he broke it and said, this is my body that's broken for you. And he also took the cup and said, this is the, the cup of the new covenant in my blood. And he told us to, to eat and to drink, to remember him. The lengths that he has gone to establish his kingdom. The security that we have through his life, his death, and his resurrection. And so as we close this morning, I invite you, if you're a follower of Christ, to come forward to take the bread, to dip it into the juice or the wine. And to remember the kingdom that God has brought us into. A kingdom that, that looks different than the world around us. But a kingdom that, that, that we can look to Jesus who is reigning and ruling on his throne. Let me pray and when you're ready, I invite you to come forward. <clears throat> Father, we, we love you. We thank you for the book of Daniel. We thank you for his life, for his example. We thank you for his faithfulness and the things that we can learn from from what you did in his life. I pray that you would, you would work in our lives, that we would be people that are marked by wisdom, that we'd be people who go to you in prayer, people who praise you for what you have done, what you are continuing to do, and what you will do in our lives. Father, gives us the strength and the courage like Daniel had to, to follow you to make difficult decisions, to respond with wisdom and with tact. 
Father, we thank you for the things that you're doing in our lives. Pray for those this morning that are in the midst of crises, that, that don't know what they should do, that you would grant them wisdom, you would grant them clarity and peace that surpasses all understanding. We thank you that you have established your kingdom, that you sit on the throne, that you are in control, and that you are a good God. We love you and pray all this in your name.